I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80, and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today I am joined by Artistic Director of Lamp and Light Productions, Matt Moore, and Fox Rehabilitation Physical Therapist, Annie Goldman. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. We're going to talk about Parkinson's disease today. Matt was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2019, and he wrote a play about it, which he is currently touring around the country. And Annie, is it true you were Matt's first ever physical therapist? Yes, I am very lucky to say that that was the case. Matt, you said not only was she the first physical therapist you've ever had, she's the best physical therapist you've ever had. <laughs> Everyone's sense this has not lived up. It's, wow. it's true. Yeah. You guys are lucky to have her. That's what I think. No, I know we are. This will give you a peek into Annie. She was a colleague of the month runner-up. Now, Annie, just so you know, a lot of that is random. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll take the stories and we're like, well, someone has to be colleague of the month and then someone has to be runner-up and then there's another runner-up too. So when we emailed you and congratulated you, you were like, thanks, but let's talk about Matt. Let's bring him on the podcast. So you weren't even thinking about Annie. You were thinking about Matt. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I felt like it was a perfect opportunity where I was like, oh, I've been meaning to reach out to Jim because like Matthew's story is a great story that I want the world to know about. And especially because your play is so spectacular, I want to make sure that anything that I can do to help get that word out, um, oh. this seems like a great opportunity for it. Jeez, so. Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to kind of go out of order today. So Matt, when you found out that you were going to get physical therapy, what did you expect? Because like we talked about off air, you had never had physical therapy before. I expected it to be sort of like move by the numbers, sort of one, <laughs> two, three, ABC, you know, and of course I got a little bit of that, but what I wasn't expecting was soul therapy. Uh, honest to goodness, like I was telling you earlier, I, I needed someone to look at me and say, it's going to be okay you're going to be all right. And here's how we're going to get there. And that's what Annie did. It was awesome. Isn't it amazing those small things that you need to hear, but not everyone says it? You get to know your therapist, I think, on a whole different level because you spend more time with them. And it's there's this feeling of it being informal. At least that's how Annie, you know, that's how Annie created the scenario. Like, let's just chat. And so she got to know me way better and way faster than my neurologist ever did. That's for sure. And Annie, the reason you're here today, you're going to break things down clinically that I can't because as everyone knows, I have no clinical background. Although hosting this podcast for two years, I think I'm building up my resume. 
Absolutely. Like if you haven't passed for like just shy of a physical therapy assistant, Jim, <laughs> I don't I don't know what you are then. <laughs> so my first question for you, Annie, is how is Parkinson's diagnosed? It's come a long way, like recently. Um, it sort of used to be like, you walk funny, maybe you have Parkinson's or your arm doesn't swing, maybe you have Parkinson's. Um, and now we've sort of created like a differential diagnosis. So there's a handful of things that have a similar appearance to Parkinson's and we need to rule in and rule out. Most of the time though, we, we consider it a clinical diagnosis. There's no, there's no like specific blood test or an imaging test that we can do to say, ah, yes, do you see like the basal ganglia isn't creating enough dopamine. This is it. You have Parkinson's. It's more of um, an exclusion. So if we rule out normal pressure hydrocephalus and a bunch of other things, then we can really confidently say that you have Parkinson's disease. An additional really important component is the treatment. Does the treatment for Parkinson's disease work? And if it does, um, then you probably have Parkinson's disease and we'll continue to treat it um, as such. Yeah. And then how does a physical therapist treat Parkinson's disease or someone who has Parkinson's? I take a different approach than maybe someone who is a more general physical therapist. So a physical therapist who comes out of grad school, we all have a little bit of ortho, a little bit of neuro, a little bit of cardiac, but I came out of grad school and then went into a neurologic residency, loved it. I loved all of the targeted education and mentorship. And then kind of with that, um, it fueled my research and literature appreciative brain. So I try really hard to stay up on all of the latest research. So for my approach for someone with Parkinson's disease, and I, I think, um, Matthew, you really got to experience that like first person. And it's, I've only grown and developed since I even have seen Matt. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the person and say, where are you at with your condition? What is your presentation? How does it present motorically? So like your body movements, how does it present non-motor wise, which would look like some psychological stuff, uh, even like GI. There's like a whole huge presentation of non-motor symptoms. And then um, what are your goals in life? Are you working? Are you retired? What are your hobbies? What does quality of life look like to you? And then how can I bridge that gap? Sometimes that's me collaborating with the neurologist or the movement disorder specialist is like the specific neurologist a person with Parkinson's should be seeing. And maybe we're adjusting medications. There's so many out there right now to target uh, lots of things in the body to help dopamine react be better in, in a person with Parkinson's disease. Um, so it might be collaborating with them. It might be collaborating with a psychologist to address the anxiety and depression that physiologically happens when you don't have enough dopamine and Parkinson's is that. And then from the, yeah, <laughs> yes. And then, the, and then maybe like the, the meat of what I do is how can I help you overcome the Parkinson's presentation? And so like for Matt, and if, you know, let me know if you don't want to have this in the, the podcast, but when we were working together, one of the first things that you had said was really affecting your quality of life and your confidence was your trimmer. And with Parkinson's, you usually have a pill rolling trimmer. It often presents unilaterally first, so one hand, and then it can present bilaterally eventually. And 
Um, I remember, Matt, you were in, um, I think, a play in German Village, maybe Shakespeare in the Park. And mm -hmm. then you had to be, you died at some point, and you hated that as a dead person, you were still moving because you couldn't stop your tremor. Dead and, bodies don't have a tremor. Right? <laughs> yes. And so, so we were kind of working on compensatory stuff of how can we hide the tremor when you are dead on the stage? And then additionally, how can you make sure that you don't trip and fall when you're stepping over? I can't remember if it was cords or other yeah. dead bodies. So those are that, that's a very specific case. But it's like, how can we address the movement aspect of it, your movement deficits yeah. to make you feel like you're able to have that quality of life you would like to have? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you were diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2019. What were your first symptoms? Well, it was a tremor during a Buckeye football game. <laughs> and, you know, it's uh, I have a lot vested in Ohio State football. And so I was watching a Buckeye football game and I had this tremor and I'm like, I can't I can't make this stop, which is weird. And so that kind of grew and developed and I, the tremor got more significant. So I, I went through this whole process that Andy's talking about because it takes time and, and people don't want to say it. <laughs> people don't want to say you have Parkinson's. So I started with a GP, then a neurologist. He referred me to another neurologist and I was on my third neurologist in the midst of an MRI, a PET scan, a DAT scan, and a neuropsychological exam until finally I, at the end of this appointment with my fourth neurologist, I had to ask, are, are you diagnosing me with Parkinson's? And he finally said yes. And so I have a really quick but funny story about the neuropsychological exam because it's that thing's a doozy three hours long. It, it tests all the different aspects of your mental acuity. But one particular part of the exam is naming as many words as you can that start with the same letter in one minute. And so the person giving me the exam said, let's use the letter F. Like, well, I can think of one. Uh, yeah. But then I remembered the fact that in when I was in my 20s, I had memorized this story called A Parable in F, which is the story of the prodigal son using almost entirely words that start with F, about 200 of them. So I started to think, I'll just go through this story one word at a time and not make it sound like a story. And then I thought, no, you know, I should tell her to give me a different letter. It's kind of cheating. Then I thought, heck no, I'm doing it, man. So <laughs> that's what I did. I went, I went word by word. She's frantically writing down all these F words. And we get to the end of a minute. She goes, wow, you know a lot of F words. And I said, uh, fortunately, yes. Um, and so it was just one of those funny, super weird, you know, coincidences that uh, – and I think I dragged up all my other scores on that test. I don't know, but it's like the highest. Movie. This is the highest score we've ever had. <laughs> but I'm saying the strangest f words possible. Things like farthing, and you know, you know, she was rolling her eyes at one point. But anyways, so it was fun. Matt, where did you develop your tremors? My right hand. Your right hand. Okay. Yeah. And were you thinking this could be Parkinson's? When you were going through all of those different tests? You know, from the point that the tremor started, I think I finally read about Parkinson's. Like it didn't come onto my radar until about six months in. And the doctor told me he thought it was essential tremor for one, you know, I was awfully young to have Parkinson's. And so we went down the essential tremor road a little bit. 
And um, yeah, so it, it started with that right hand and spread to my right leg. And I thought it, it, it's probably going to be Parkinson's, but I wasn't sure. You talked about meeting Annie and needing someone to say it's going to be all right. Yeah. So at what point did you then take your Parkinson's diagnosis and create it into this play that you are currently working on? You're, uh, you're framing it in a little bit of a way of like, I finally got the courage. I turned some corner, which not entirely true. I think I, I kind of wrote the play in a way out of some desperation. Like, you know, I've got to, I don't want to end my acting career and not every play has a person in it with a tremor. So what am I going to do? So I thought, well, I'll write a play that I can be in no matter what my symptoms are. So if that's a little selfish, I'm sorry. But no, that's, <laughs> but that's also therapy. Like you're creating therapy for yourself. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. what I thought. Yeah. And also, I, I don't know if you've ever thought through, through this, but like hearing you say those words almost is like, in order for me to like process this myself, like I'm going to, I'm going to explore what I'm feeling what my experience has been so far and what it might continue to be, but like through art, because that is how you navigate the world. Like that's, that's part of like your expression. Um, and maybe that's also part of your processing too is through art, yeah. you know, it was cathartic. And I'll tell you, I, the play is not my own story. I, I interviewed 12 people and there were many times when I looked at the transcript of those interviews and I thought, I can't write anything this good, you know, and with their permission, of course, I just copied and pasted from this transcript right into the script. And it's, I think that's one of the things that makes it come alive is that it's not just my story. It's a lot of people's story, but all of it is real, are real things that happen to real people, you know, in, in the Parkinson's world. So, so Matt, when did you begin writing this play? Uh, let's see. It would have been, I had the idea of it in 2021 and I pulled this little trick where I told as many people as I could find that I was going to write a play so that I'd have to write it, <laughs> like, you know, this whole thing like, cause I, I'm not a playwright. I'm a, you know, performance artist, but this is the first play I've written. Well, so, well, technically you are now a playwright. Well, now I am, but, uh, yeah, 2021, we, we, premiered it in Columbus in September of 2022. And I got a grant from the Ohio Arts Council to uh, to help cover some of the costs of producing the, the show. So the play is called What I Didn't Say, A Journey Through Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Would you be giving too much away if you told us what the title meant? No, because it's, <laughs> it's what I, it's, it's what I didn't say from beginning to end. Like, What's really interesting about the show is it breaks the fourth wall. I don't know if you know this term, but the, the actors look directly at the audience at points where they're expressing and telling what's going on in my head as opposed to what's coming out of my mouth. And so, you know, for example, well, even with Annie, as, as wonderful and warm and, and good-hearted as she is, there were times when I didn't tell her the whole truth. I would exaggerate something or I'd kind of I'd lie about a couple of things. You know, and it wasn't, I was trying to hide something. I just, I wasn't getting to the real truth of exactly how things were in my life. And part of it, I, here's my theory, is that I'm a people pleaser. And I want, I want Annie to feel like she's doing a really good job. And so <laughs> if she asks me how I am and I'm not doing well, 
I'm tempted not to say I'm not doing well because I want her to think that she's helping me and we're improving together. And you know what I'm saying? So, well, the, what I didn't say are the things that either I feel are too crazy. No one else feels this, or they're just, just trying to kind of hide the reality of how bad things are. When did that hit you? When you thought, hey, like maybe I shouldn't be hiding these things. Maybe I should say them out loud. Before I wrote the play, I mean, that was, that was the impetus of the play in part. By the time I had talked to my fifth neurologist, I'm realizing I'm, I don't tell the whole story and I need to. It's so interesting that you say that. Um, I find 99% of my, my patients are that way. And me as a patient, I, I've um, struggled with some different chronic illnesses and autoimmune conditions. Um, I don't know, since high school. And I find that too, because nothing is worse than going to a doctor, laying it all on the table for them to say, I don't know what's going on with you. Or I don't know, man, you're just going to have to live with that. That's, you know, like those types of things are so invalidating and honestly are worse than like, if you told me I have a terminal illness, but at least you had the diagnosis or like you knew the treatment plan or there's no treatment plan. With Parkinson's especially, I think that nebulous. Like it's not, it's not set in stone, um, of what's going to happen and how you're going to present. Um, and a little bit more clinical insight is when you have a young diagnosis, I'm like blanking on the cutoff, but I think it might be under 50, but if you have young onset Parkinson's, that's a worse prognosis. If you have a balanced dominant presentation, that's also a worse prognosis. So for even us clinical providers, it's, hard for us to be fully honest because we don't want to overwhelm you and give you all these hard facts when you're still processing. But then guess what? We're, then we're getting it back. Like we're kind of creating this environment of maybe we'll all just hold things back and make it a little bit softer and a little bit nicer. And yeah, I'm fine. I mean, actually, like I want to die or I'm feeling really depressed and I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. You know, like, yeah. so it's so it's so valid. It's so understandable. And well, and care partners too. Yeah. For for care partners who are just freaked out, you know, what when are they able to say the crazy things that they're thinking, you know, and they're just, they, you just stuff it down inside because it doesn't seem like you're able to say any these things to anybody because yeah. you know, who would say something bad about this this person who has Parkinson's that they're caring for? They're not allowed to say anything bad in a way, you know, and so yeah. what I didn't say applies to me and care partners and neurologists, and none of us are telling the whole real story exactly. It's so, like a bunch of half-truths. So, Matt, when you got out on stage and you were able to say those things for the first time, what did it feel like? It's cathartic. It's emotional, even now. When you really get to the truth of it, man, it's it's down in here. And. Isn't it wild that that doesn't come out without art? Because there are some great singer-songwriters. They couldn't tell their friends their problems, but they get on a stage in front of 500 people and they can just release it for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I had the safety of the interviews, right? So I'm not telling entirely my story only, which would be a, a much harder thing to do. I'm, I'm telling somebody else's story. That makes it a little easier, at least. But I also think that you're speaking for others as well. So yeah. in the same way that Annie said, hey, it's going to be okay, I feel like you're saying that to your audience now. 
Well, I've had so many people come up after the performance and say, I feel seen, I feel heard for the first time because someone articulated on stage what I felt in my heart, but didn't have the guts to say to anybody. I saw a review from a doctor. It's on your website. And it said, it's a nice reminder to know your patients. So Annie, how important is it for a clinician or a doctor or a neurologist to truly know their patient? I would say it's everything. Like you could be the smartest person in the room, know know every single um, piece of literature that's been published in the last, you know, 20 years, be so up to date. But if you don't have a relationship of trust with your patient, then maybe they're not going to take that seriously. Maybe they're not going to listen to you. Maybe they're going to be closed off or write it off in one ear out the other. If you don't know your patient, maybe you don't know how they like to be communicated with or talked to. I can't tell you how many people are like, you were the first person to really educate me on what Parkinson's disease is, even though they've been going to a neurologist for three years, simply because I'm from like a small country town in the South. And I talk like I talk to my family. Like that, that's me. I know fancy words, but that's, that's secondary. My primary language is just easy communication and goofy phrases. I get it from my mama. And, um, and so they're like, you took the time to explain it in a way that I understood it. And then I write it down. Like I write it down. I write it down in the way that they describe it back to me when they teach it back to me. And that sticks a lot better. So I would be having the same response as a lot of the other clinicians or providers that my patients see if I didn't know them and know how they want to be communicated with or or know what their family might be going through. That simultaneously, I'm trying to deal with my new diagnosis and also my sister or my aunt or brother-in-law are going through cancer. And like, should I even be allowed to complain about what I'm experiencing when they have a terminal illness or they have a family and maybe I don't? There's so much that I want to make sure that I know that I want my patient to know that they are, they are my top priority. And so therefore, whatever they say, there's no superfluous like information that you can give me, give me all the details um, because it's going to help me come up with our plan together. But I don't think I would get that level, that that level of like intimacy and people sharing, you know, problems that they're having with driving. People don't want to talk about problems with driving. It's very, very scary because if there's a risk that maybe the person I'm talking to will take my license away, I'm not going to share that I'm having right. problems or intimacy with their partner. I think a, a really special thing that physical therapists and occupational therapists can do is like, how do you want to have intimacy with your, with your loved one? And then is your neurologic condition affecting that? Like, let's work on that together. Like that is something that we are trained to do. And sometimes people feel uncomfortable saying that. But if I have this level of open trust and communication, I find that I can, we can breach that sooner so that I can get them the help that they need sooner. So. That's a long answer to say <laughs> everything. I, I think it is so important. I wouldn't have the results that I do with my patients if we didn't have that level of openness and knowing each other. Annie fosters that environment and that dynamic better than anybody I know. So that's She's great so to hear. Yeah, Matt, I was going to ask you the same question. How important is it for a doctor or a clinician to know their patient? 
Well, it's essential, absolutely essential, because you know that's where it starts. My mindset, my attitude. I'll give you an example. I found myself in a parking lot of a Target eating a pint of ice cream that I had just bought in there because I wanted a pint of ice cream and I didn't want to bring it home and have my wife know I'm eating a pint of ice cream. And I thought, this is not right. I, I can't go on like this. So I found out about an Overeaters Anonymous club and I went to a few meetings and whatnot. But that aside, so I, I went to my neurologist around the same time and I told her these things. Like I told her, look, I'm I'm dealing with this. And she said immediately, oh, well, you got to get you off Mirapex because Mirapex is a, a drug a lot of Parkinson's patients take that it can induce um, compulsive behavior. And so she, she started right away diminishing the amount. She said, we're going to replace Mirapex with something else. So there's a huge adjustment in my medication because I had just enough guts <laughs> to tell her, like, I'm having real trouble just avoiding these cravings for sugar and, and everything else. And so I told her that, and she made a huge adjustment in our my rehabilitation plan. But if I hadn't said that, we would just have gone on, you know, and is it her job to dig into my life, you know, enough to find that out? I'm not sure. I think it takes a team, you know, it takes a physical therapist, a mental therapist, a neurologist, and everyone in between. And you have to, at some point, you got to give up the information yourself too. You know, you have to, you have to be honest and say, I need help here. So Matt, I want you to talk about the upcoming shows you've got in 2024. Once again, the show is called What I Didn't Say, A Journey Through Parkinson's. You're taking it on the road. So where are you playing? How can people attend? How can people donate to the play? Yeah, well, we're going to perform next in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. So we're going to perform uh, January 30, 31st, and the 1st of February at UAB and Samford and UAH. It was really exciting. We're coming back to perform in uh, Annie's backyard the first Sunday of February in uh, German Village. And from there, we're headed in April to perform in Chicago and Pittsburgh. And so all the details, all the dates is at, are at uh, lampandlightproductions.com. And I'm going to stop right here because this doggone pinner's going off. And I know you can edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I edit out such a candid moment, Matt? Oh, man. <laughs> no, I have this thing where I, I email my printer and I emailed it two hours ago, and it's just now receiving it and printing it up. <laughs> and it's still, I, uh, Prime time. Well, Matt Prime and time. Annie, thank you so much for the time. Wait, can I say one thing? If, of if course. people do want to donate, of course you can. Wanna, if people want to donate, they can go to GoFundMe, you know, GoFundMe.com. If they just type in Parkinson's Play in the search bar, I'll come up. They'll they'll see they'll see me in the play. That's the easiest way to to describe it. So if they go to gofundme.com and they search Parkinson's play, I'll pop up and we we'd love to have people's help and support. Our goal is to tell as many people as we can what's going on with this disease, which is the fastest growing brain disorder in the world and nobody knows anything about it. And that drives me crazy. And so we're just trying to educate people and connect people together and and give people resources that they need. So help us do that. Matt, if we want to raise awareness about Parkinson's, will you join us again on the Live Better Longer podcast during Parkinson's Awareness Month in April? 
Of course. All right. Of course. You know what we call that? Yeah. We call that a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody asked me, they said, uh, well, you wrote one play, now what are you going to do? And I said, Parkinson's the musical. Uh, well, and, uh, hey, 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 before we go, before we go, speaking of musicals, if you go to YouTube, Matt has done a Fiddler on the Roof parody. It's not If I Were a Rich Man, it is If I Had a Good Brain from the Tremor on the Roof, not the Fiddler on the Roof. So if you wanted to do the musical, Matt, you could because you've got the chops to do so. I, I'm off to a pretty good start. Okay. I've got, got one, yeah. All right. So good luck. Good luck with the plays. I would love to see it. Uh, all my family's in Pittsburgh. So if I, if I can make my way to Pittsburgh in April, I'm going to check it out. Yes, please do. Yes. Absolutely. So for Annie Goldman and Matt Moore, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yens later. Yeah.